Uh, one, two, three, action. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> okay. Today, cooperators. <laughs> trying to say cooperators. Cooperators. Oh. I'm just going to cut that out. Okay. No worries. <laughs> everyone, this is Anastasia, and I'm back to host another episode of That's Rad, a podcast presented by the Littleton Food Co-op. This is another jam-packed episode, so I really just want to get started. Honestly, I have very mixed feelings about this episode. When I first started this podcast, a female-centric episode was something I had thought about since the beginning. My full set of lived experiences, especially going to a women-centered college, really taught me the importance of supporting other women and giving them what they need to overcome identity-based challenges. I see the co-op as the perfect place to talk about female empowerment, considering we act as a crossroads for so many industries where women are underrepresented. Whether we support it or not, which we don't obviously, this is still a place where industries like farming, production, and grocery are represented, but women are still seeing gender discrimination in those places in 2020. With that in mind, I went to work making a list of women who immediately popped into my mind for the podcast, and then I looked at the list and realized this is all white women. A number of factors, including internal biases, convenience, and my own social circle, led me to have a list of women connected to the co-op that I saw as inspiring, but were all white. And this isn't in any way to diminish the power of these white women, but I knew looking at this list that I couldn't claim this as fully representing the experience of women in food, because it wasn't. So then I set out to make a change by finding the women of color owned and led companies sitting on our shelves. And I was thoroughly disappointed. I saw women owned companies and I saw companies owned by people of color, but the Venn diagram of gender and race was literally just two circles at a first glance. Eventually through more research, I found our, albeit small, collection of women of color owned food companies. But unfortunately, as it turns out, these are mostly national large scale brands with founders who, as awesome as they are, don't have time to talk to a podcast that only has three episodes out. So we're still going to hear from some incredible women today, but I really felt the need to give such a lengthy disclaimer to say that A, this lack of representation of Black, Indigenous, women of color was not intentional, and that B, the things you hear today are not the universal experience of women connected to the co-op. I would love to talk more about why that is, but I want to give time to the great episode we have coming up. What I am going to do is recommend to you a TED Talk by Kimberly Crenshaw called The Urgency of Intersectionality. If you're interested in learning more about why the women today, their experience does not reflect women as a whole. You can go listen to it now if you want, but make sure to come back. In this episode, I'm talking to Vanessa Robbins, co-op board member and all-around cool human being, as well as Nancy Plant, owner and founder of Peace of Mind Baking Company and a total boss. So stick around and let's get started. 
everyone. We're joined by Vanessa Robbins, Secretary of the Littleton Food Co-op Board of Directors. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Vanessa. Thanks for having me. So just to start, can you just introduce yourself to everyone and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I am Vanessa. I'm a co-op board member, as you said, Secretary of the Board now. Uh, I'm also a public health hygienist and a fitness instructor, and lately I've been dabbling in some cultural project ideas in the community. And now that I'm saying that out loud, I'm realizing it sounds pretty random. Uh, but I do think the commonality of all of my hats is the desire to be a part of making my community a vibrant and healthy place. That's awesome. And now that you said it, I definitely see all of the commonalities. And I'm glad we have someone like you who's taking on that challenge. Um, Thank you. So in my mind, I always want to call you like a recently elected board member, but I guess at this point, it's not like actually so recent. I don't know. Time doesn't exist. Um, but in any case, what made you decide to run for a seat on the co-op board? Well, initially, when I came up for my interview at Amphanusic Community Health, um, I stopped at the co-op for a quick lunch. I think I have the videos on my phone. I could have made a full-length video called, Ooh, Tegan, look at this. <laughs> um, we're, we're both very conscious about eating organic and local. And, I mean, the co-op just does a great job at that. Uh, aside from that, though, the thing that really drew me to wanting to be a part of the board is the healthy food access programs, um, mainly for my patients that I see in public health at Amanusic Community Health. You know, a huge part, a huge deterrent of health is the cost of food. And the co-op, I think, does the best job in our area, I, I believe, to give people that access to healthy foods, whether it be the 10% off eligible purchases for people who qualify, um, you know, recipients of SNAP, Social Security, or other government assistance programs, as well as going to the farmer's market and providing the dollar-for-dollar -dollar match on produce. I don't know of any other grocery stores that provide that assistance. Um, so to be on a board that makes decisions based around making a healthy, vibrant community, I, I couldn't say no to that. Well, we're glad you didn't say no. And I was over here prepared to jump in and explain the kind of healthy food access programs that you were talking about, but you clearly know your stuff and you did a great job <laughs> explaining it. Yeah, I mean, I guess supporting local to us, to Tegan and I, um, to me, you know, on the board, uh, it means supporting local families, supporting sustainable farming and ethical food production, supporting our bodies by eating food that's been grown and processed with care, and, you know, supporting the employees who have, especially in this time of COVID, have done an amazing job being resilient and quick on their feet to make changes and do it in such a tactful way. I'm just, I'm really proud to be a part of it. 
Thank you, I guess. Like, yeah, as as one of those tactful employees. Yes. (laughs) If you were to look at what I would say is like a standard board member, whether it be locally or nationally, there's an extremely high chance that that board member is, I don't know, to put it bluntly, like an old straight white man. And in fact, according to, I was just looking at a Harvard Law School report in 2019, only 7% of open board seats were filled by people under 45 at some of the leading national companies. And 40, under 45 is like considered young, um, which is a whole nother thing. But were you at all intimidated going into the election process because you didn't kind of fit the mold gender or age-wise? That is a really interesting statistic, and I'm glad to know that I'm beating the statistic. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, um, I would say that age-wise, you know, I've never been on a board before, mainly due to my age. But I guess every member of every board could say the same thing at one point in their lives. So you have to start somewhere, right? As for being a woman on a, on the board, to be honest with you, I don't think I've thought much about that. So I feel lucky to be a part of a community where there are a ton of businesses and farms who are run by, excuse my French, but badass women. Um, we're joining a board as a woman isn't even a second thought to me. So kudos to Littleton for creating that environment. Yeah, I even noticed myself when I I was scrolling through our board page that there is pretty much a 50-50. It might even be more skewed to um, the female side of things um, on our board personally, which I I think is really great. But that's that's so true, too, what you said. Everyone has to start somewhere. Um, So I know, like I said, It hasn't been too long since you've been a board member, but I would love to hear about your experience so far on the board. But specifically, I would also love for you to talk about this abolitionist challenge that members of the board are doing. Can you maybe explain what that is, what the process has been like so far, and if you have any takeaways? I know it's only you're only a little bit into the course so far. So my experience on the board has been great. Um, You know, the first board meeting I was a part of, I was appointed secretary of the board where I record the meeting minutes, which has been a learning opportunity, and I'm really enjoying that. And it's been interesting to be on the board during such interesting times with with COVID and also Black Lives Matter movement. One might think, what does a co-op have to do with these topics? Well, as a co-op, concern for community and education are fundamental principles of what a co-op is for a community. You know, when there's a pandemic raging among us, our co-op jumps into thoughtful action of what needs to happen and then executes it. Um, and I know that our community has no and felt very safe at our co-op. So that was one meeting. (laughs) And then our next meeting was centered around Black Lives Matter because Black Lives Matter. 
And again, concern for community education, you know, making our community feel included, um, every single person of that community, no matter the differences. So that's when Becky had brought up the abolitionist challenge uh, through Columinate. Columinate is an entity of consultants that connects all the co-ops around the country to help kind of guide them in the success of creating community and education tools, uh, which is free and open to anybody to go to their website and check it out. So I, I highly recommend that. But the Abolitionist Challenge itself is meant to help dismantle systematic racism because co-ops care about community and want to make it a better place. So we figure, why not start with us? Although we're just beginning the course, I'll tell you kind of what I've experienced so far with it. Again, I'm, I'm no expert, but it takes place over six months with the readings of six books and coursework that goes along with it. Right now, we're reading the book, My Grandmother's Hands by Resma Makanem. He discusses the history of systematic racism and that it's not always something that people intentionally think or say, but rather something that has been acquired in our bodies over a generation, more of a visceral reaction that we're not always aware of. At first, it kind of sounds like it's taking away the responsibility that we as individuals have with systematic racism, but what it actually does is give people the awareness and to be able to notice these visceral reactions and heal through them so that they don't continue to pass through future generations. So I'm really excited to see where the course goes. I'm actually meeting with Becky and Danny tomorrow via Zoom uh, to kind of discuss our readings together so far before we meet with the online nationwide group uh, discussion next Tuesday. I just believe that it's important for us to take what we learn from this course so that we can, as Resma says, heal ourselves, heal our families, our communities, our institutions, the list goes on. And in this case, we're starting together as individuals and as part of this board. So that feels really good. Wow. That sounds, first of all, really great. And I can tell already, it seems like you've learned a lot from it and taken away a good chunk of learning and maybe applied it to your own life so far. I mean, you've already kind of using the terminology and the language and you did a great job of explaining it to someone who isn't in the course and maybe doesn't have the same, I don't know, like the same, um, it's not always something that's easy for someone to digest, but I think you did a good job of making it easy for someone to follow along and understand, even if they don't have the course materials in front of them. So thank you for doing that. Of course. And I was actually just talking with Danny today, and I think what I would like to do is donate the books that we're reading, um, at least the books that I have. Um, I would like to donate them to the Littleton Co-op bookshelf where you can kind of take a book and leave a book. So if anybody's interested in reading any of the six books that we're reading, you know, you, you won't have the discussion part of it, but I do think that they are powerful books that explain things in such a way um, that can be really helpful for people. So... If people are listening right now and maybe they've kind of had the same thoughts as you in that they love the co-op and they're looking for 
a way to get more involved, or maybe they were inspired hearing about what the board is up to right now. Do you have any advice for people considering running for a seat on the board in our next election? Yeah, I would say be authentic and be willing to volunteer and really get your hands in this board, in this co-op, and be involved to be a part of something bigger than you. And our next planned election is not until 2021, but in the meantime, how can people stay in tune with what the Littleton Co-op Board is up to? So I would say, uh, you know, come to the meeting. If you can't make it to the meeting, uh, right now they're being held via Zoom, so that's helpful. But you can read the meeting minutes, which yours truly writes. <laughs> and I would also recommend checking out the Calluminate website for materials and education pieces uh, that we use ourselves when discussing co-op topics and learning about what co-ops around the country are doing, uh, as well as the abolitionist challenge, if you'd like to know more about that. Yeah, and I'm sure that would be a great place to start, too, for someone interested in becoming a board member and that you can kind of learn the terminology and what co-ops do on a much larger scale. Yeah, and I am always at the co-op and very approachable, so if anybody ever has any questions, just call me over, ask me any questions, and I will be happy to answer. I can vouch for the approachability part of that, <laughs> considering you're on the podcast today. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of that, um, thank you again so much for coming on. It was really great to hear about your experiences with the board, and I hope your story inspired some other future young female board members to come aboard. Heck yes. Thank you very much for having me, and I look forward to talking with you soon. Like I said before, we unfortunately could not get in contact with any of the founders of the women of color owned companies we have on our shelves, but that doesn't mean they have to be left out completely. For this episode's product of the week, I'm excited to tell you about Pipcorn Snack Crackers from Pipcorn Heirloom Snacks. No, I'm not just pronouncing popcorn incorrectly. Pipcorn is a women owned minority-owned family business out of New York from siblings Jen and Jeff Martin, along with Jeff's wife, Teresa So. They all stumbled upon these heirloom corn kernels. Yes, heirloom is no longer just a tomato term. Um, but these heirloom corn kernels were a lot smaller than average, but they produced incredible results. Their goal quickly became to reinvent classic childhood snacks so they didn't make you feel icky afterwards. They soon landed on Oprah's list of favorite things and then landed a Shark Tank deal quickly after that. What's really interesting to me about the snack crackers specifically is how they're made. So when Pipcorn makes their cheese balls, there's extra heirloom corn flour left over, and the company decided to give that leftover flour a new life in the form of this cracker. The crackers mean that they use 99.9% of their corn flour and don't put any to waste. I personally tried the cheddar flavor, and they were really great. It wasn't 
like an intense cheddar flavor, so I think it would be good to pair with other snack items. And perhaps the best part was that it didn't leave that cracker or that cheddar residue on your fingers that you have to lick off afterwards because no one really wants to be seen licking uh, your fingertips during Corona times. Plus, they're gluten-free, soy-free, egg-free, and yeast-free, but they taste like a regular cracker for anyone who doesn't have to worry about those restrictions. I was generous enough to share them with my coworkers, and they had a really positive reaction too. Tanya even said, quote, these are dangerous. And I really do agree. And if I hadn't shared them, there's a high possibility I would have just finished off the box. If you want a box of your own, you can find the cheddar and the sea salt popcorn crackers in aisle two alongside all of the rest of the crackers. the opportunity to talk with Nancy Plant, owner and founder of Peace of Mind Baking Company in Conway, New Hampshire. Now, I came across Nancy when I was looking to talk to people for episode three, our Eat Local episode, but then after such an amazing and honestly inspiring conversation, I realized that this interview really had to go in our empowerment episode. Nancy has such an enthusiastic character that can't help but make you feel, I don't know, more cheerful. In fact, we both stopped recording and we were like wow like we feel so much better than before we started this interview so I hope at least some part of this makes you smile like it did for me here's Nancy now Alright everyone, so I am now joined by Nancy Plant, owner and founder of Peace of Mind Baking Company in North Conway, New Hampshire. Nancy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. I'm flattered and I am really grateful that you've chosen me to be here. Thank you. I am honestly the one who feels honored. right now. So do you want to start and tell us, you know, what is Peace of Mind and how did it all begin? Well, um, I started out as baker in Colorado in my early, like, 20s. And while I was out in Colorado, I got diagnosed with celiac disease. And I also found that I was allergic to dairy as well and had to go on a rigorous diet for quite a while. And then soon thereafter, you know, got married. But um, so anyways, my daughter was born first and she was, you know, able like to eat whatever. She had no issue except for dairy. She had like a severe dairy allergy would cause her to get asthma. And then my son was born. And as soon as he started eating solids, I could tell right away, like wheat was going to be a problem. And it was, it was a major factor in um, keeping him healthy was keeping him away from wheat and dairy. So both my kids were dairy um, intolerant. Um, and now my son was now, you know, gluten intolerant as well. And then my mother was diagnosed as well with celiac disease. So there's, you know, three of us in the family with the gluten intolerance and then um, and celiac and my daughter with the dairy 
And then soon after that, I was diagnosed with an egg allergy, a soy allergy, and a corn allergy. And I was like, oh, my God, like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to make foods, you know, for the kids and I to eat? And one of the big factors for me was that, like, I'd like to go to get a coffee. And it was really hard to bring the kids to go get coffee anywhere. And my son loved muffins, and so did my daughter. And I've always loved muffins. It's, like, always been a favorite of mine to have because you can always just grab them and go. Or you sit and you can enjoy them at, you know, any, you know, shop, like coffee shop or something. And so I developed the muffin, and I was, you know, you know, raising two kids. And people would always tell me, you know, you really should sell these. You should sell these. Can I try one? Can I try one? And I was like, okay, you know, whatever. And I was working nights waitressing, and I just thought, Maybe I should give this a shot, you know. So I started with the muffins, um, zucchini chocolate chip, pumpkin chocolate chip, banana chocolate chip, you know, and they started selling um, at the local um, health food store and um, our local coffee shop, Frontside Grind. And they really started selling pretty well. And um, then I got in contact with Flatbread Company, and they were looking for a gluten-free pizza crust. And I was like, I can do that. I hadn't even made one yet, but I was like, I know I can do this. So... I developed a gluten-free vegan pizza crust, and um, they took me on, and it started, um, like, slowly just, like, approaching each of the flatbreads, and the reason being was that I kept thinking about how many kids out there were like my son who would then not be able to have pizza because they couldn't have gluten, and and then they'd go to a coffee shop, and they couldn't have anything there, and I just kept thinking, this is awful. Like, we have to do something to change this. So um, there came the, the Wolby Pie idea came after because we'd go to a birthday party, and of course there would be cake, and my son couldn't have that either, or my daughter couldn't have that. And I thought, well, these Wolby Pies would be great because I can throw them in my purse and I can bring them, and they have their cake right away. You know, like they don't feel left out. Or if at school, like they could have one and I could have it separately, you know, wrapped and safe for them. And then I thought, wow, like I got to do this for more kids and even adults because many of us are going without when we don't need to. So um, it just became like my my goal was just to get it out there for more people. And the more people I helped and the people that would reach out to me and tell me their story about how they hadn't been able to eat pizza for, like, years, it just just warmed my heart and got me through some of the probably the hardest days of starting a small business, which happen all the time when you're starting a small business because your first two years are just really tough, you know, trying to launch it, get it off the ground. I think the love for what I do comes from that, is knowing that people aren't doing without because I'm offering alternatives. Wow, that is honestly such an amazing story. I mean, even though I am very fortunate and I don't really have any food allergies or intolerances, I can totally relate to seeing all of my friends who even now we're in our 20s and it still does kind of affect your social life in the way of you can't go to all these restaurants and you do have to be extra cautious about what you participate Mm -hmm. in. And I can remember back to my childhood of birthday parties being such a big part of like the the social scene. So I was going to ask like how Whippy Pies as kind of not like the most traditional dessert came about, but that, but that makes total sense. I also loved that you hadn't made a pizza crust before and you're just like, yeah, I can do this. 
<laughs> yeah, it was um, pretty funny. Like, I literally was like, I'm, I'm on a mission. And, you know, I had been working at a restaurant, and I made a couple of pizza crusts, but they were from a mix. And I was like, no, I can do better than this. I can do it. I can figure this out. And, I mean, it has evolved over the years and um, gotten, you know, better, I believe. Um, and now to the point where I feel like I finally perfected it. But it took time. And people were willing to wait and, and try the newer ones and, you know, it helped help me along. You know, I asked them, like, what do you think? Like, do you think I should stick with this flower? Or do you think I should do this one? What do you, you know, because you got to humble yourself. You can't, you got to ask questions. you got to ask people for their in, input and find out because those are your customers. And I see that you've asked me, like, um, like how we've gone without advertising. Um, like, I saw that as a question. We've never really advertised in the first probably eight years. I didn't really do a whole lot of advertising. Um, it was unbelievably quick in how it grew. Um, I look back and I think that, like, for the first few years it was kind of a struggle. But then word of mouth was really amazing because I feel like people in the allergy community or affiliate community really – are advocates for each other, and they're really amazing. If you if you have a good product, they're going to get that word out there for you. And if you have like good principles in your business, they're going to get that out there for you. And it and they did, and they were really you know amazing. Like even customers that would go to have pizza at flatbreads, like that's how I got a lot of like new pizza customers, you know, whether online or new, like, pizza restaurants that would want to buy the pizza. So it, it was it was just truly, like, heartwarming to know that all these people love the product so much that they spoke about it, and then people remember to, you know, circle back and say, this is where I got it from, or post about it, or write to me personally, or call me personally. Just amazing. Yeah. That sounds really great to have such a community in your customer base. Um, yeah. And, yeah, just to just go, to um, let everyone know that just straight out that you really haven't had to advertise, um, but you've done, like, what, three expansions so far? We have. Yes, yeah, that's we certainly cool. have. And um, we're working on our fourth. Yeah, we'll be moving into a bigger space this fall, and um, we'll then be able to offer more retail items. Um, I mean, so COVID has actually been, like, an incredible inspiration and also frustration at the same time. But seeing, like, how our retail end of it took off, even out of a little takeout window that my landlord was so gracious to build for us, we now, like, offer our customers, like, a takeout option here at the window. And they can come and they can pre-order or they can um, order online and they can come and pick up right here the donuts, the whoopie pies, the, you know, cookies and pizza and whatever. Um, I have to say that, like, kind of, you know, sometimes desperation is inspiration, you know, because you are, like, so desperate to figure out how am I going to manage the situation, like the COVID situation. It leads you to being really creative and figuring it out. And then you end up with this beautiful outcome where I get to see my customers quite regularly and make contact with them and talk to them. And it's, I don't know, I mean, COVID's been tough, and I can't say, like, I'm thankful for it, but I'm thankful for parts of it that has given me a lot of gifts within my business 
even still, like, through the struggle. Yeah, I mean, obviously none of us are happy with this overall situation of the world, but it is always so heartwarming to hear about how people are finding such positive things through these situations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hearing you just now talking about such ha- having such a positive spin on this kind of negative situation, and then also earlier when you're talking about making the peace across and just kind of having that, yeah, I'm going to do it, confidence, mm-hmm. is that something you kind of have in all aspects of your life, or do you think it really is just in this business aspect? I don't know, like, I feel like I don't have it in all aspects of my life. No, I'm certainly not the most confident person, but when I have a mission that I know is going to help people, I think that that's where my will to succeed overrides any insecurity. Like, Mm. wanting my kids to be able to have, you know, pizza out or wobby pies and seeing that lack just really inspired me to like just go for it um I don't always have that I have many insecurities and things that like kind of like are harder for me to do than say somebody else you know say like technology I'm not good with that I'm horrible at marketing I have to have other people do marketing I'm very, like, okay with being behind the scenes. I'm not the person that likes to have their pictures put on everything. I just like being behind the scenes, doing my creative work, and, like, getting to talk to my customers, yes, but, like, throwing myself out there and marketing myself is probably my biggest um, obstacle. Like, I'm not good at it, so I have to ask for help. And, I mean, that's what we all have to do when we need to learn to do that in business is find your weaknesses, find other people that are strong at them, and then you can go forward with what you're strong at and be good at that. Instead of constantly, like, struggling with the fact that you're not good at it, find somebody else that can do it that's better than you and, and praise them for it and be like, yeah, that's great. I'm so psyched you can do that because I can't, you know. So... It's uh, it's really interesting. Business has been interesting, and I have to say that I think my love for what I do is what is what makes me confident. That's that's really great advice to hear, and it's great to hear you kind of think about where it came from. But that's also, I think, always great advice for anyone is just find the people who compliment you, so then you can focus on what you do best, and then kind of make it overall better when you work as a team. Right. Um, so then speaking on being driven by your mission, you say a big part of your mission is baking with a conscious. What does that actually mean? Uh, I'm so glad you asked that. Baking with a conscience to me means that whatever I use as a ingredient here at Peace of Mind, I have Peace of Mind giving it to my family, serving it to my kids, and serving it to myself. And I feel like, number one, that's a big thing that people have forgotten when they make a product nowadays. You're feeding other people. You want to feed them things, especially people who are already dealing with health issues. You want to make sure they are getting the best ingredients for their body. Um, especially little kids, you know, people suffering from celiac disease, they're all trying to heal their gut. They're all trying to improve their health, mostly, and yet they still want to have these treats. So here at Peace of Mind, I, I don't allow any GMOs. 
Um, we get organic cane sugar. So we pay more for our sugar, but we have organic cane sugar that's, like, the best quality. And we don't use any refined flours. We don't use any of the white rice flours. We only use brown rice flour, and it's organic as well. And then I make my own mixes here. So whereas other places might buy, like, bags of King Arthur flour or Bob's Red Mill pre-mixed stuff, we make our own base mixes here. And I tried to find like flowers that I knew offered nutrition, like coconut flour, millet flour, buckwheat flour, and we get ours directly here from Fort Kent, Maine, so it's local, which is very nice. So I feel like at least I'm helping another business, you know, that is in the flower business, not having to always go out west where most of the flour is milled in our country. Um so those things make a difference to me. Using confectioner sugar, that's raw confectioner sugar, organic raw confectioner sugar, that is um, using tapioca starch, not corn starch. Um, and, it's, and you can tell the difference between that and, like, Domino's confectioner sugar that is super, super refined. Ours is a little, like, grayer. It's not going to be as clear white, but it's going to be better for you, you know, tenfold. So I have a lot of people tell me that their kids don't have the same reaction from eating a whoopie pie as they would if they were eating a really refined whoopie pie. And I and I know the ingredients are why. So we use palm kernel shortening as well. We use a sustainably sourced palm kernel shortening. I will not compromise on that because of the rainforest. So there's like huge things that go into thought and that's why when I say when I bake with a conscience I do because if there's an impact that's being made from an ingredient that's negative I'm going to take it out of my shop it's not going to be here anymore and I've done that before with like carotene it was in the hemp milk I stopped using that hemp milk I found another one that didn't have it in there because it's a known carcinogen so it's that kind of stuff having integrity I think if anyone had any doubts about the statement you're putting out there of baking with a conscience, they should have all gone away by hearing you <laughs> answer that. Even even if I didn't understand any word you just said, just how passionate you were speaking and how committed you were to those ideals, it it makes total sense that you um, put that out as as kind of your your mission and your um, basis around your company. Yeah. I also love... Oh, I'm sorry. Once you start compromising your integrity, then you're already... You're losing your passion. Your, your integrity and your passion go together. You can't have one without the other. So you have to always go with your, with your integrity because it's only going to fuel your passion. It's really interesting, but that's how I feel. Um, another thing you talked about when you were talking about that um, was vocal sourcing, and I'm so glad you brought that up because one of the things we love to talk about at the co-op is eating local. So can you talk yeah. a little bit more about what does eating local mean to you and what does it look like for your company? Absolutely. I think that anytime I can source something locally, I do my best to do that. I mean, it's really kind of difficult for certain things, obviously, as you know, like I said, most of the millers are out west. 
so when I saw that there was buckwheat flour from, you know, Bouchard Farms in Fort Kent, Maine, I'm like, they're my source. I don't care what the price happens, like, whatever. I'm going to make a good connection with them, and we're going to work together. And we have for, like, I think maybe 12 years now. I've been working with them, and they've been giving me products, and, you know, it's been wonderful. Kind of thing, I use a local distributor, too, in Summersworth, um, New Hampshire, um, called Favorite Foods, and they help me to distribute locally to other people. And they also have some local things that I can get from them. Um, and it's also, you know, just helping those people who have jobs with that company. You're providing them work. Um, it's just it's constantly, like... You know, sharing on Facebook somebody else's product, it doesn't matter if it's yours or not, but if you have a, you know, relationship with them, why not? You know what I mean? Spread the wealth. I think it's a beautiful thing, and social media is great for that, and we should all consistently try to support each other locally, for sure. Yeah, it really doesn't cost anything, even if you don't have a business and you're just your personal page, it really doesn't cost you anything to to give someone a like or a follow or anything like that. So I definitely agree that social media is a great thing in that aspect. Right, absolutely. And we work with, like, White Gate Farm. They buy our pizza crust, and they also come and get our donut oil. And they use it for their tractor equipment. It's fantastic. He says it smells like donuts all over the farm when they use it. (laughs) So that's like, you know, I mean, that to me is beautiful because I know that's not going to waste. It's getting used in a great way. So it's, I don't know, it's been, it's just really been amazing. I love the connections I have with people and I love to see these businesses flourish as well. Um, And, you know, like it had been a dream for me to be part of Littleton Co-op and it took a while um, to finally get up there, but I'm so proud to have my product at Littleton Food Co-op because so many people up there especially are really having a difficult time finding things. They have to order them online a lot and you guys offer like the widest range of different like, you know, allergen-friendly and gluten-free products that I know of up there. So kudos to you guys for doing that because it's truly very needed. Well, thank you. Um, and like I said, even as someone without um, any direct food allergies in my family, I definitely notice and recognize the importance of the fact that we do have a lot of allergen-friendly food sitting next to and around your product. Speaking of that, uh, we have your Wookie Pies and your muffins in store in the bakery department. I tried one, and I specifically had the maple Wookie Pie, and I loved it so much. And Uh I was pretty surprised that I didn't think it would – it didn't really taste like something that was so – allergy friendly you know there are some things you can really taste the difference as someone who doesn't have to eat that way so I was surprised and excited I guess that it did pretty taste like a pretty much taste like a quote-unquote normal dessert (laughs) so did you set it out did you set out to have it taste so closely to the conventional desserts out there? Oh, absolutely. Like, seriously, I am a serious cake lover. Like, I loved cake all my life. I've always loved cake, and I started baking cakes when I was, like, 11. So 
to me, like, cakes have been, like, everything. And, by the way, that whoopie pie recipe basically came from an old lady, and this is not even a made-up story, like, literally this beautiful old lady that lived across the street from me when I lived in New York a long time ago, and I was 11 years old. And I say a long time ago because I'm 51 now, so it seems like forever ago. <laughs> um, she gave me this whoopie pie recipe, and I held on to it. And I, I would always make whoopie pies, you know, when I was younger. And then when I got sick, I looked at that recipe and I was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Like, you really want to you really want to be able to make these gluten-free. And I did. And it, it worked out. Like, it was crazy. Like, it was like one of those things, again, like, I don't know what who was there to help me, but it was like I was fearless. And I just went into it and said, I got this. I'm going to make this. And it worked out. And ever since then, like, we just flavor after flavor. But, yeah, the whole time was, like, if it's not, like, really as close to what I used to have, it's not good enough. i got to keep trying. And you mentioned the maple whoopie pie. The vanilla whoopie pie took the longest to perfect. And really? I will tell you that my now manager, who's been with me for seven years, if she hadn't been so in love with that vanilla cake, I probably would have said, you know what? I threw my hands in the air so many times because it wasn't perfect. It was kind of grady, and I was like, oh, my God, this is just not right. And I had to keep going back, keep going back. And I finally nailed it. And now it's like, okay, thank God. But if I hadn't had that support of other people, like my, my manager telling me, no, 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 don't give up. I love it. It's it's so good. It's, you know, it's good enough. It's fine. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not. But I appreciate that because it got me to the next level. And it made me keep trying to perfect it. And then we finally we finally hit it just right. And now we have all the other flavors because of it. And if you don't have a good vanilla base, it's hard to make new flavors. So, um, anyways, that's the story behind the vanilla whoopie pie. It almost drove me insane. <laughs> Yeah, kudos to your manager. Um, they are a great person. <laughs> yeah, she really is a great person. Uh, so I was going to say that from the beginning, starting with the whippy pies and the muffins, coming really out of a place of wanting to make life easier for your family and then talking about how the whoopie pie recipe came from your uh, neighbor, is that where you get a lot of your either flavor or product inspiration from is like community it's really interesting i have a really quirky thing that happens to me i could just be driving down the road or sleeping in the middle of the night and i will wake up with a flash i need to do this flavor this has happened with my donuts for instance and the donuts to turn into now i have like 30 flavors because I just wake up and I'm like, this flavor, I gotta do this flavor. And that happened with the whoopie pies for a while, but whoopie pies are a little different because you gotta make a label and it takes a little bit more time because you're packaging it and everything. Where donuts, you don't have to package. So I could come up with flavors much easier. And, but, um, that's where I get my inspiration from. And sometimes people will request a flavor and then it will like, you know, it'll work out and I'll be like, yeah, that sounds great. We'll do it. Or perhaps um, one of the girls at work might say something like, hey, we should do this. And I'll be like, hey, let's give it a try. So it's just kind of like always remembering to stay open. 
you know, and, and looking out to see what might be new out there. Never, never like discount any idea because you never know. It could be the, you know, the magic one. What's the weirdest flavor request you think you've received? Um, you know, I find, I find it funny that a lot of people like peanut butter chocolate and I know it's a very favorite of everybody, but, um, I don't know why I have an aversion to peanut butter chocolate. So <laughs> I like peanut butter cups. Don't get me wrong. I can, I don't eat them because my daughter's allergic to peanuts as well. So we don't have peanuts in the facility at all. We're a peanut-friendly bakery. We don't have peanuts here. But that would be the one that I've always been like, God, everybody's like really stuck on that one. And then I realized that it's a New England thing, that the chocolate peanut butter whoopie pie is a big New England thing. A lot of people like it. And, um, I mean, I have to say, no, I can't do it, you know, for, you know, health reasons here. Thankfully, because I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) That's so so funny. I had no idea that was a New England thing as someone who's been in New England their entire life. (laughs) Yeah, I I had to ask around, and people told me that. They're like, oh, my God, no, chocolate peanut butter will be pies. are like a big hit in Maine and everything. And I'm like, really? And, oh, okay, you know, (laughs) pretty interesting. Yeah. So on the the same topic of flavors and such, uh, what is your best-selling product and or flavor, and then what's your personal favorite? Oh, boy, that's really the toughest question you've posed so far. Um, <laughs> I would have is to it, say for sales, Whoopie Pie has surpassed everything um, because we're in so many large stores. The, the Whoopie Pies really do hit the market harder than anything that we have. As in flavors, it would be the classic chocolate in the cookie dough that really, like, take the top seller position. But when it comes to the product that has, like, outsold everything very quickly, it was it's the donuts. The donuts are gluten-free and vegan, and that's a tough thing to find in itself um, because people do have gluten-free donuts out there, but not a lot of them have a gluten-free vegan donut, especially where it's made with organic, you know, non-GMO ingredients, tougher even then to find. But those have taken off, and I can't even – I, I got to say that at first when the COVID-19 thing hit, I wasn't sure what we were going to do, and a good friend of mine who is, you know, an amazing psychologist and business runner, he is just, he just said, what are you doing? Like, get those donuts online and you'll see. And I, I'm going to tell you, the first day that we had the donuts online, we had 40 orders in that day within hours and they just took off. So I have to say that that has been probably the most satisfying product that I've made yet because I've actually had people who have kids that are 10 years old and they've never had a donut because they've had this allergy since they were born. And to see their face when they have a donut, I mean, I'm getting like teary eyes right now talking about it. It is truly amazing. (laughs) It is just, I don't know, it's blown my mind to see these kids try a donut for the first time and just like their faces light up and and it's a whole different world. It's it's crazy. <laughs> it's just an amazingly happy occasion. Honestly, I'm over here also getting teary eyed over right. <laughs> Um, I know. But wiping away the tears for a second to to finish up here, I 
you kind of hinted at it a little just now talking about your website. Um, but as I said before, we have Peace of Mind Whoopie Pies and muffins at the Littleton Food Co-op in our bakery dessert section. Um, how else can people connect with you and follow along with the rest of your journey for updates and products and things like that? Yeah, on Facebook, we're always posting. We're always posting new flavors, um, donuts, whoopie pies, that kind of thing. We're also always on Instagram as well. Um, I told you, like, I'm not the best marketer, so we don't do it as frequently as some, but we try. Um, And then also, like, you can come on down to our shop as well and, you know, order at the takeout window or, you know, pre-order, that kind of thing. But honestly, if you live up north, I think that, like, Littleton Food Co-op is, like, a great place to go to go get your goods. And um, we'll always, you know, make sure that you've got, you know, some stock up there. I know my mom goes there often, so (laughs) she goes to – she lives in Pittsburgh, New Hampshire. So she'll go to Littleton Hospital, and then she'll make her way over to the co-op and stock up and head home, even my mom. So (laughs) – Oh, nice. I feel like I need to say, like, I didn't pay you to say any of this. (laughs) No, no, yeah, yeah, you don't need to, because I really, I really for years been like, oh, my God, I really want to be part of their community, because you guys are doing such a great job. You really are. It takes a lot. There's not, like, not that I, I shouldn't say there's not a lot up there, but we're in remoter areas. Like, even North Conway and Conway are much more remote than, say, if you're in Port Smith or Dover or Portland. So, you know, for stores to do what you're doing like you know you're offering things that people that like who have a difficult time finding food to eat you're giving them like a you know a lot of help you know in that aspect well now I'm really gonna cry um so before before I the waterworks really come out um I just want to say thank you so much again Nancy uh, for taking the time to talk with us this is a really inspirational, dare I say, chat. So thank you again. Oh, my God. Anastasia, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. And your questions were amazing. Um, They actually, like, I am actually really the happiest I've been all day because, like, looking back at, like, all of, you know, having the time to reflect has made, it just, it really is, it's inspiring for me. So thank you. us home the most powerful inspirational awesome woman i know myself in other words that about does it for this episode of that's rad i think if it wasn't clear before it is now women are running the world women are making great strides in all industries And even though there's still a long way to go towards complete gender equity in the food system, I think the women we heard from today are great examples of how that's possible. And this experience opened my eyes to show me that we here at the co-op also have progress we can make. The first step to addressing any issue is always identifying it. Now we just have to make sure we do more than that. So again, thank you for listening to us today. If you're liking what you hear, if you're not liking what you hear, if you don't know what you're hearing, make sure to let us know. All your questions, comments, product of the week suggestions 
and stories can be sent to marketing at littletoncoop.org. Or you can reach out to us on social media. Our Facebook is Littleton Food Co-op and our Instagram is at Littleton underscore co-op. Until next time, ladies, I want you to eat, sleep, and be rad. Men, do whatever you want, I guess. I honestly don't really care. (laughs) That's Rad is a production of the Littleton Food Co-op. Anastasia Marr directs and hosts. Jesse Smith and Annie Stewart produce. Becky Colpitz provides unrelenting positivity and moral support. The Littleton Food Co-op is Littleton, New Hampshire's community-owned grocery store. We put our money where your mouth wants to be. Local farms, of course. No membership is required to shop here. Come check us out sometime. Just off exit 41 at 43 Bethlehem Road in Littleton. Or if you're online, check us out at littletoncoop.com. Okay.